Pastor Doug here from Crossroads. It's great to be with you. I hope that today's message will draw you closer to Jesus. Steve and I were married about two years when we had our first big argument. And I remember it like it was yesterday. It was Christmas 1990, and we were gathered around the Christmas tree, and there was a huge box under the tree with my name on it. I was so excited when I saw this gift from my new husband. I couldn't wait to see what was inside. He, he sat beside me and he placed the gift in front of me and my hands were trembling as I placed my, my hands on this large box. What could it be? Surely a gift this size from my new husband was something incredible. Well, it was wrapped so beautifully and I took the, the most precious care to just tear back each layer of wrapping paper. And as I'm, I'm unwrapping it, my, my heart beat faster and faster. What did he get me? Well, I took the wrapping paper off and I saw a brown box, a plain brown box. There could be new boots inside. It, it, it might be a new coat. <sighs> Did he know me so well that he got me a case of Reese's peanut butter cups? <gasps> Maybe, but no, the box was way too big for these items. My gift from my young husband was a kerosene heater. I didn't know what to say at first, but then my young 25-year-old self did something incredibly unloving. I told Steve that I was disappointed with my gift, and those words led us into the argument of the decade. It took days for us to get through all that muck that I had caused and get our young marriage back on track. To Steve's defense, he had put so much thought into this gift. He knew that I am almost always cold. He knew that every year growing up in an old farmhouse, it was drafty and my dad had a coal stove in our living room and my sisters and I on Sunday afternoons, we would curl up by the coal stove and take naps. So he was thinking of me. He was envisioning me just receiving all kinds of love from that kerosene heater. Steve brought the love that Christmas, but I did not. Ouch. We are in week two of our new series, and we're thinking about what it looks like to bring love to town. Last week, Pastor Doug reminded us that if we don't have love, we are just going through life making noise. Our lives should be showing love first and everything else is secondary to love. According to Jesus, love is the whole point of life, so it is a pretty big deal. Researchers who study love have determined that when a child receives love in the home, when they're growing up, that child is emotionally happier and less anxious. So it's not surprising that a 2015 study out of Notre Dame says that children who receive affection from their parents are happier as adults. We are better able to love when we've received love from someone else. Fortunately, many of us have been mightily loved in our lives. 
But throughout this series, I want you to know that if you are carrying wounds from an unloving relationship, this church is here for you. Please let me know. Let a friend know. Let another staff person know. We want to point you toward healing and hope. Now, most of us would say that there is someone in our lives who has shown us love, a family member, a coworker. Your barista at Starbucks has shown you love. Maybe someone from this church has shown you a kind act or given you a loving word. But when I look at our community, when I look at our world, I can feel sad. Because it's hard to go through even one day without seeing places where love is absent. Daily. Daily. We hear stories of shootings and mass murders. We read about hate crimes against people who looked different than us or who act different than us. Our children come home from school with stories of bullying toward them or toward their friends. And divorces and broken families in our circle tell us that love is absent in the home. And friends, while we need to allow ourselves the space to hold the grief and pain that we feel when love is absent, we need to also find deliberate ways that we see love around us. And ways that we can contribute to that love, ways that we can reciprocate our love to others. And I might be optimistic, maybe you are too, but I think we can have a positive impact in our home, in our community, in our world when we choose love. The Bible is a beautifully written love story. Because of God's immense love for us, he gave his son, Jesus Christ, to save a hurting and broken world. And it's this incredible love of Jesus that we are celebrating in this series, Love Comes to Town. Now, our passage today is a tiny one, just a couple verses. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 6. And while you may know these verses well, maybe you've even memorized them, my prayer today for these next minutes is that the Holy Spirit would just touch you with something fresh, something new, as we look at these verses about love and make it personal. So audience participation, please. Let's read these verses, these characteristics of love together. Would you join me as you look at the screen? Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Now Paul is writing to the church in Corinth here. And if you remember back from just a couple weeks ago when we had our seven churches of Revelation series, you know that it was helpful to us to give each church a name. Just as we were learning these churches, we gave them a name to help in our study. And if we were giving the Corinthian church a name, we could call them the problematic church because of the ways they were lacking unity, unity that comes with love. 
We'd call it that because, you see, Corinth was this melting pot for many different lifestyles. Merchants and sailors, gamblers, athletes, business adventurists just flocked to Corinth. It was a hub of activity. This was the variety of Corinth's social life, and the attenders of the Corinthian church were just as varied. And they needed to learn something. They needed to learn to live in harmony with one another, given their different backgrounds. So writing to the people of this church, because the variety of the community was also the variety of the church. So writing to this people in the church, I imagine that Paul felt much like a frustrated parent when our children aren't getting along. Have you heard this quarreling, parents? Mom! She's touching me again. Dad, I have been waiting a half an hour to get in the bathroom. Would you please tell her to hurry up? Mom, tell her to stop staring at me. He has more marshmallows in his hot chocolate than I do. We know it well, right? The bickering, the finger pointing, the selfishness. And Paul is writing this church to tell them they should act like Christians. Stop fighting. Stop sinning. You know how to get along. You know right from wrong. Church, just do it. And while Paul wrote this letter to the church in Corinth, this letter is for us too. He makes that clear early on in the letter. When he says, I'm writing to God's church in Corinth, that's the letter, to you who have been called by God to be his own holy people. He made you holy by means of Christ Jesus, just as he did for all people everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. <laughs> the Holy Spirit knew that on March 12th, 2023, you and I would need a new lesson in love. We would have trouble loving each other. The Corinthian church needed to shape up and show love. And so do I. Maybe you do too. So this morning, we're going to look at the qualities of love in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 6, and we're going to make them personal for us. But we're also going to tie them to stories of Jesus, ways that he showed love so incredibly well. So I hope this message speaks to you, whether you're 9 or 90. Loving like Jesus loves means that love is patient. Love is kind. So let's stick with parents of teenagers and young children for a minute. If you're a parent of children with, or teens, I'm thinking you've worked hard to practice patience and kindness with your children, but to also teach them patience and kindness. When our children were young, they were always testing our patience. I can remember times where they came home uh, from, from being out at night, and they were always so loud. I was trying to sleep, but they were loud. I remember times when our teenagers downloaded music using my credit card, and I had not given them permission to do this. Now that I look at our bill, I think maybe they still do this, and they're young adults. <laughs> and our son in particular, he would always eat my Olive Garden chicken parmesan takeout that I brought home. Even if I had written in a bold sharpie, do not eat, this is mom's. Things that he did that irked me. 
And how about if your children are small? They always come out of the bedroom before quiet time is over. They turn up their noses at every new recipe we try. And really, think about a time when there was a family secret, something you were working through as a family that was for the family ears only. And how many times did they share that secret with your neighbor or the mailman when he came up the road? Children test our patience. We love them, but there are things they do that irk me. Audience, can I get an amen? Yeah. They test our patience and our kindness. Maybe you're in a similar place. Your kids are stretching you. I don't think it's an accident that Paul describes love as patient and kind in the same sentence. In theory, it's simple. When we practice kindness, we need patience. Matthew 14 tells one story of many stories where Jesus was patient and kind. This is a story where he feeds a bunch of people, 5,000 people, in fact. And this story of Jesus' kindness and patience can be easily overshadowed by the miracle of feeding that many people. But what we want to look at is what happened before that miracle that Jesus did, before the miracle, because his actions scream, love is patient, love is kind. Matthew 14, as soon as Jesus heard the news, and the news that he had just heard is that John the Baptist had been beheaded. As soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. Can you picture this? Jesus has just heard that a friend has been killed. He needed a space like many of you and I would need. He just needed some quiet time. He needed to excuse himself. He needed to go to a remote place, perhaps have prayer time with his heavenly father, perhaps pray, perhaps mourn. He needed some time alone to process this. But this quiet space to process the sad news did not happen. Matthew goes on to say, it didn't happen because the crowds heard where he was headed and followed him on foot from many towns. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. Jesus showed loving patience with these people. And later on that day, that evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, Jesus. It's already getting late. There's there's no Burger King. There's no place to get these folks some food. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, that isn't necessary. You feed them. You feed them. Jesus showed kindness to the crowd, but he also placed the act of kindness back on the disciples. He instructed his disciples to participate in the act of loving. You feed them. Isn't that interesting? Loving others like Jesus loved can be a challenge. I don't come close to having this kind of love There are times when people make me grouchy. None of you, but other people. And sometimes I find it hard to be patient and kind as often as I know that I should. But these verses from Jesus 
tell us that he looked beyond himself. He didn't complain when the crowd needed his time, when they inconvenienced him. He had compassion on them. He didn't send them away. He loved on them. He was patient with them. He was kind to them as he responded to their needs in a very helpful way. Jesus' actions here encourage us to strengthen those qualities of love and patience in our lives. And oh, how our children need good examples of love and patience from us. Loving like Jesus also means that love does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. This was a tough one for me. Being envious feels like a natural inclination for us. Maybe, maybe as teenagers, we want what our friends have. We want that new video game they've gotten for Christmas. We want that extended curfew that their parents give them. But loving like Jesus just means that we are glad for the things that our friends have, that other people have. We're happy for them. We aren't envious of them. Now, maybe envy or jealousy isn't a problem for you, but pride is. Pride can show up over lunch with a friend or in a conversation at a family reunion. In conversation, a prideful person rarely asks questions of the other person. They're more interested in themselves. A prideful person dominates conversation by talking only about themselves and how much they know so that others will be impressed with them. And a prideful person rarely compliments other people because the focus is always on them. In Matthew 6, Jesus gives us an example of pride in our lives, and it's an unusual place to find pride, but Jesus addresses it. It's our prayer life. He encourages us to check our motives and our intentions when we pray. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, Jesus said, who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, just go away by yourself, shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. Now, Jesus is not condemning public prayer here. No. He's saying the people had the wrong motives when they were praying. They wanted to be seen. They wanted recognition. Their actions were prideful. So similarly, if we own this for ourselves, we should pay attention to our motives in our relationships and put love for others ahead of our love for self. Love does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud. Paul continues describing love. Loving like Jesus means that love does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Wow, that's a lot of love, isn't it? Now, my kerosene heater story from Christmas 1990 was not the only gift from Steve that I received that caused an argument in our home. 
I'd love to say it, it was a once and done unfortunate time, but it wasn't. And again, this is all on me. You're hearing some of Dawn's dirty laundry today. This is so embarrassing, but let's be imperfectly flawed together. It was Christmas 2022. <laughs> yes, just a couple months ago. And again, there were gifts under the tree for me from Steve. Three gifts, in fact. Again, I was all excited. Again, I wondered what they were, really big boxes. And again, no clue what they were. But this time, the eyes of our daughter and her husband were also in the room. I opened the first box, and I pulled out a WeatherTech floor liner for our car. I opened the second box, and I pulled out a WeatherTech seat cover for the back seat of our car. My face must have said it all. Because our daughter looked at Steve and she said, Dad, you have got to talk to me before you buy gifts for Mom. (laughs) Uh, And here's the mistake. I didn't learn anything from Christmas 32 years ago. The day after Christmas, I said something to Steve about his weather tech present choices for me. And I'll spare you the details because they're so embarrassing for me. But I will tell you, I did not honor him. And I did not, I did not love him well. I was self-seeking. After our conversation, Steve said he needed some space from me, so he went to the basement, and I took time to think through my actions, my words. I felt awful. And I went back to him later that day, and I apologized. Because you see, after 34 years of marriage, I know that honoring my husband is foundational in our love. And I risked it that day. I risked it because I was only thinking about myself and what I wanted instead. Steve forgave me, and together we moved past the argument. We forgot the issue much quicker than we did that time we had a kerosene Christmas, 1990. Friends, when we love like Jesus loved, honor shows up in our relationships. Honor shows up in our dating relationships when we respect the other person that we're dating and we don't ask them to compromise by doing something they're not comfortable with. Honor shows up in our marriage when we choose forgiveness and seek restoration. Honor shows up on the job when we congratulate our coworker who got that promotion that we wanted. And honor shows up in our relationships when we're patient with someone else's shortcomings when we give them the benefit of the doubt before we jump to conclusions and before we make mountains out of molehills. That's honor. Honor shows up when we love like Jesus loved. Honor was on Jesus' mind up to the very end of his earthly ministry because he honored his mother, making sure she was cared for as he hung on the cross. The Gospel of John says... But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, that was John, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. 
And from that hour, the disciple took her to his home. Jesus' incredible love showed up in honoring his mother by making sure she was taken care of when he was going to be absent. What a beautiful display of honor. Honor between adult children and aging parents has been on my mind a lot. And I know from conversations with you, honoring and caring for our aging parents has been on your mind too. Some of us are making hard decisions for the care of our aging parents. It's not an easy season to be in. And I know you're doing the very best you can, as I am, to show love and dignity and care and respect to your parents as they age. We can only do the best we can with what we have. And the best we can is a beautiful demonstration of honoring with love. In addition to honoring his mother, Jesus did something else incredibly loving after he was crucified. He showed forgiveness to the soldiers who nailed him to the cross. He said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. How? How could Jesus keep no record of wrongs to these men who had just nailed him to the tree? He asked God to forgive them. Forgive them. That is love. These are beautiful examples of times that Jesus showed love, both to someone very close to him and to total strangers. But let's look at our last verse for loving like Jesus loved. Loving like Jesus means that love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Every season of our lives is a blessed opportunity to show love to others, to the people around us, close by, our family, our friends, our workplace, our town. And it's great to choose love close to home, but let's go bigger. What does it mean to show love to hurting people in a broken world? This last quality of loving like Jesus gives us a huge clue. Rejoicing in the truth is how we show love. You see, unfortunately, our world will always be broken. We will always be challenged to navigate the sin and the evil that is around us. But as Christians... As Christians, we need to never forget we have the privilege of showing honor and love like Jesus did to people all around us, speaking hope, speaking truth in the midst of the pain that we see. Let's not forget that. Jesus spoke truth in a hurting world so many times. In Luke 7, we hear the story of a woman who, with a sinful past, and she came to Jesus for forgiveness. She enters the home of a Pharisee named Simon, and she's greeted with glaring eyes of judgment from him as she weeps, as she pours perfume on Jesus' feet. She kisses Jesus' feet and wipes his feet with her hair. Simon needs a shift in his focus when he reacts with glaring eyes to the way she shows love to her Lord. He needs a shift in his focus because he only sees the woman's sin. He sees the evil things that she's done and he condemns her actions. But Jesus, 
Jesus reminds Simon that even though she came from a place of evil, she came from a place of sin. The woman was showing deep love and a desire to be forgiven for the sins of her past. So despite the evil in her world, this woman was forgiven. She could rejoice with the truth that her faith in Jesus, despite her past, had saved her. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Loving like Jesus loves is a choice for us. And no matter what our age or stage of life, we have Jesus as our guide for how to love well. Tom Holliday is a teaching pastor at Saddleback Church in Lake Forest, California. And he gives us some encouragement for loving the way Jesus loved. He says, our relationship with others is molded not merely by what I want, but by the examples Jesus provides. I'm not going to think about how I want to be treated, the golden rule. I am going to look at how Jesus treats people. If I'm going to live out of sacrificial love, it's not going to happen accidentally. It's going to take a step, a conscious decision to act toward others the way Jesus acts toward me. Jesus chose love, and he teaches us about love by how he loved. Let's close this message today in the same way we opened it, by reading this slide together out loud, one voice, And we're replacing the word love with the name of Jesus because of all the examples in scripture of how he loved. Reminders for us of how to love. And what I want you to do as we read this together is I want you to think which of these qualities of love, which characteristics of love the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about to take love to that next level. Patience, kindness, all the examples of how Jesus loved. And then write that on your connection card, and I'll be praying for you this week. Let's read together. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. Jesus is not proud. Jesus does not dishonor others. Jesus is not self-seeking. Jesus is not easily angered. Jesus keeps no record of wrongs. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the way scripture unpacks for us a beautiful love story. And Father, today, as we've studied a bit deeper of how to love with all of these qualities that you showed so uh, patiently and so thoroughly in scripture, I ask, Lord Jesus, that we would own a quality of love, a characteristic of love, of love, a way of loving. I pray that we would own just one of these areas that we can step into this week, grow in, submit to you through. And I pray, Father, that you would remind us through your example just how beautiful it is to be loving and to love other people. So, Father, thank you for who you are for your incredible gift of love. And may we all just lean into you in a new way this week as we try to be better at loving others.
In your precious name I pray, amen. Thanks again for listening. Any step you take towards Jesus is a step in the right direction. You can find out more about us at crbic.org. That's crbic.org.